There is a young man in the audience that you're going to meet tomorrow. His name is Eric. I saw him the other night. I haven't had a chance to talk to you, man. Eric is, um, Eric is my, my first baptism since I left New York. Uh, when I came out here as 3ABN production manager, um, it didn't include baptizing people. And uh, baptizing folk is an addictive kind of thing. And when you've been baptizing people for 30 years to sort of get cut off from baptizing people, John, it's, it's a little rough, you know. It's, it's like uh, you get a habit and then you can't do it anymore. And uh, Eric just drove down here one day uh, and said, I want to be baptized. Amen. And we baptized him. And we're going to tell you that story tomorrow at, uh, during Sabbath school. Eric, stand up. Just let him see you right there. Nice guy. <laughs> nice guy. Stand up, let him see you. Good looking guy. He's single too, by the way. <laughs> what is success? There are many definitions for success. And I ran across something the other day it's a little funny. I want to start out with this before we get into the meat of our subject. What is success? Let's go to the graphic. Um, success is a number of things. At, at age four, and they've got the wrong one up, at age four, at age four, bring it back, at age four, at age four, they say success is not wetting your pants. At age 12, there we go, success is having friends. At age 16, you could remember this, success is having a driver's license. I didn't get mine until 18. I failed while I was driving too fast. Um, I got mine at 18. At age 30, success is making love to your new bride. That's success. They say at age 35, success is having money. Amen. Um, at age 50, success is having money. At age 60, success is having money. At age 65, success is making love to your wife of 35 years. Praise the Lord. At age 75, success is having a driver's license. At age 80, Success is having friends, because at 80, you begin to lose a lot of friends. And at age 85, success is not wetting your pants. <laughs> so it's a full circle. It comes all the way around. That, that's, that for some people, is, is success. Now let's take a look at, at the dictionary de definition of, of success. Success in the dictionary. You know, you used to have to open up all these books. You can go to dictionary.com now. Uh, just open up your iPad, your iPhone, dictionary.com. And when you open up dictionary.com, you will find the following. It says that success is the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. Isn't that a particularly worldly definition? Amen. Wealth, position, honors, or the like. Um, I guess I'm not successful then, because I am not wealthy. Um, every month we have to sort of play Russian roulette with the bills. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This month you get, this month you may not get, that kind of thing. 
The secondary definition I like a little bit better. It says, it is the favorable or prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors. It's, it's trying to do something and having what you're trying to do work out correctly. So these are definitions of success as the world sees them. Now let's look at the Word of God and get a little better definition of success. And the reason we're dealing with success today is because in a little bit I'm going to challenge you to do something for the Lord. But I, I will challenge you given the understanding that when you step out for God and you do it in God's way, success is guaranteed. Amen. So, so that, that if you're doing God's will in God's way, you need not fear or worry or concern yourself too much with the outcome because the outcome is in God's hands. If God says, do this, do this this way, then God will take care of the outcome. I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. All right, I'm in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Turn to that in your Bibles. We're going to pop it up on the screen in just a little bit, but Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. I'm reading from the New King James. It is one of my favorite. In fact, I can, I can, I, I'll turn to this, um, but Joshua 1.9 is one of the first texts that I committed to memory. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. But I, I did all my memorization in the King James Bible. And the, the New King James, I got to actually read from because um, it doesn't read like the King James. So, have not I commanded you, I'm in Joshua 1.9, be strong and what? Of a good courage. Do not be afraid. King James says, be not afraid. Neither be thou, be thou dismayed, the King James says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that a powerful promise? Wherever you go, God is with you. It corresponds with a text of mine, a uh, 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 favorite text of mine in Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6 where the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So then you can boldly say, God is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Powerful text. The understanding that God is your helper all of the time. Now, I want you to back up one text to Joshua 1 verse 8, because that brings into focus what we want to talk about just a little bit more. Joshua 1, same book, same chapter, verse 8. The Bible says, do not, or rather, don't forget to read uh, and meditate on the book of the law that Moses wrote. Keep reading it morning and night so that you don't forget what I want you to do. If you keep your eyes on me and desire me with all your heart, I will be right beside you and you and will bless you with, and what's that last word? Success. So this is, this is, this is Joshua taking over after Moses, having watched the trials and tribulations that God's people put Moses through for all of, those year, all of those years. And so Joshua now is given the reins, the mantle, and God is telling him, 
I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. If you read the word day and night, meditate on it so you don't forget, I will be with you and I guarantee your success. Amen? That's powerful. I see John and Rosemary here heading up 3ABN in Australia. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, doing other things, working for the Lord. Lord called them into this ministry. The Lord directed them to build that wonderful uh, 3ABN studios down in Australia. Did they have any fear? I'm sure they had a little. But today there stands a beautiful production facility. Why? Because when you stand up for God, God stands up for you. Amen. That's his promise. Success is guaranteed when you do God's biddings in God's way. And I'm, I'm sort of laying on this point because we're going to come around full circle again in just a little bit. So God said to Joshua, I'll give you the same success that you got with Moses. Now, don't feel too bad that Moses didn't get into the promised land because Moses has spent the last 4,500 years in heaven. Good trade for me. I'd take that any day. So don't feel too bad that he didn't make it into Canaan. He's in glory. Amen. And I know he wouldn't trade places with any of us, though we'd gladly trade places with him. So success is doing God's will in God's way. It's very, very important. Very, very important. Ellen White wrote something in the book Christ Object Lessons, page 333. Page 333, Christ Object Lessons. Here's what it says. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Isn't that a powerful statement? As the will of God cooperates with the will of God, as, as the will of man, rather, cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. So when you go forward to do the work of the God, it, you'll forgive my pejorative English, ain't about you. Because it's not your strength that you will succeed. In fact, the truth is this, ladies and gentlemen. Many times, oftentimes, God will put you in a situation and allow you to stew in that situation so that when you get on the other side of that situation, you realize that the only thing that got you through that situation was God and not you. Amen? Amen. Grace Hips is right there. When I was pastoring the Ephesus Church, a lady came to me and said, here is my check stub. Here are my bills. If you do the math, you can see that my bills exceed by $100 the amount of money that I'm making every month. Therefore, I cannot pay tithes. And I said, you're right. You can't pay tithes. Not with that balance sheet. Not with $100 more going out then coming in, you can't do it. You can't do it. But God can. And here's what I did. I did it one time in my life. I won't ever do it again and don't ask me. 
I said, I'm going to give you $100 for this month. And I want you to try God. Mm-hmm. Sixty days later, she got fired. Fifteen days after that, she got a new job, making one and a half times what she made before. Now, God chose to work it out that way for her. But what if he hadn't? Would God still be God? I say so. So it's not about your ability to see your way through. If you could see it, you wouldn't need faith. Amen? It's about God. And if God asks you to do it, then you will accomplish it in his strength, not yours. Amen? Ellen White ends that quote in Christ's object lesson by saying, all his biddings are enablings. Amen? If he asks you to do it, he will give you the ability to get it done. And success is guaranteed in Jesus. He doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. He doesn't promise that you're going to have a cheering section. He doesn't promise that you're going to have people cheering you on and encouraging you. He simply promises to be with you throughout every trial in your life. Now, these words about us being cooperating with God and our will becoming omnipotent were given in reference to perfecting of heavenly characters. But Ellen White herself said this, they also deal with activities done in Christ's behalf. So that when you connect your will and your mindset with his in an attempt to do something for the Lord, his strength is your strength. And you can rely on him. Amen? And amen. Now, I want you to take a look at this. It's called Don't Depend on Miracles. I stumbled across this the other day because uh, someone was asking me about something, um, and I just put this in to sort of talk to them. It, it, it says, Don't Depend on Miracles. Here's something very important Ellen White says, God does not generally work miracles to advance his truth. If the husbandman neglects to cultivate the soil after sowing his seed, God works no miracle to counteract the sure result of neglect. In the harvest, he will find his field barren. God works according to great principles which he has presented to the human family. And it is our part to mature wise plans and set in operation the means whereby God shall bring about certain results. So, you can't necessarily ask God to do it for you. You must ask God to do it through you. Amen? You, you can sit home and say, okay, Lord, I'm out of work. Get me a job. 
and it may happen. I heard just this morning about someone who wanted to sell their house and they never put an ad in the paper. They never did anything. They sat in their house and someone came by and knocked on the door and said, you want to sell this house? Now, how often, how often have you heard that happen? It, it does happen. Odds are it won't happen to you. Amen. So God oftentimes can work for you, but it's better if you allow him to work through you. Amen. So if you want results, you got to put something in. And God says, if you mature your plans, if you pray over your plans, if you work your plan, if you include him in your plans, if you make him the center and circumference of your plans, things are going to turn out well. Because the onus is on God and not on you. Now, I took all that time to establish that, to move into this. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You know that very well. Matthew 28. Beginning with verse 18. Matthew 28. Let's put it up on the screen. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Amen? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Powerful. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now that is the Great Commission. That is Christ's dictum to us, all of us, to go and make disciples. Not just pastors, not just preachers, not just elders, not just people who are employed by the church, but every child of God, every baptized member of the church has a call, a commission upon their life to go and make disciples for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All of us have that call. Now, it is interesting that before the call, Christ ratified, verified, certified that all power is given to me. So he's telling you, I've got all power and I'm sending you out in that power. So again, he's saying success is guaranteed. You need not fear. It doesn't matter whether you're a preacher, a teacher, um, uh, just a talker, a testifier, a testimony giver, whatever you do in the name of Jesus, if you do it honestly and sincerely in the power of Jesus Christ, you're going to have success. Amen. Here's a guy sitting down front, buddy of mine, Lemuel Vega. Hustler, ex-hustler. Let me clean that up. Spent time in prison. Has got one of the most powerful ministries that I've ever been connected with, Christmas Behind Bars. Prison guy. Not a college graduate. Not a PhD. Not a Bible theologian. Not a THD. Not a D-min. Not a master's in divinity. Not even a master's in pastoral ministry. Not even a BA in theology. Not an associate's degree in theology. He just loves the Lord. And he let the Lord use him. So he came out of prison 
gave his heart to Jesus, and now thousands of people have come to the Lord. Simple guy. I'm embarrassing him. He took his glasses off. But he's a nice guy who had no better sense than to give his heart to Jesus. And so success is guaranteed when you do it for the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm begging this point. I'm banging on this point because I want to come to something. I'm going to challenge you in just a little bit. Um, in New York City this year, there's going to be some 400-plus evangelistic meetings. And 3ABN will be there in a few weeks, and we're going to, we're going to broadcast uh, the feed uh, coming from the denomination, Nassau Coliseum, I think it is June 28th. Um, they're expecting thousands of baptisms because hundreds of preachers are holding meetings. But how much would that number have been multiplied if the 60,000 Seventh-day Adventists in New York City had all gone out and done evangelism. It's nice. We're going to get, we're going to get thousands of baptisms. But I think we could have gotten tens of thousands had everybody woken up and joined hands together. See, ladies and gentlemen, the truth is the work will not be finished by preachers in pulpits. Amen? It's not. Now, God is erecting the three ABNs of the world to extend the gospel to places that it cannot go, but even three ABN by itself won't finish the work. Wasn't designed to. Can't go where you can go. Can't say what you can say. Cannot do what you can do. Amen? Now, if you can't say amen, say ouch. I know I'm stepping on toes. Go with me quickly to 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to try to get through this fast and I see my time is getting away from me. 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to try to get through this really, really fast. 2 Kings 7. I preached for two years just from the books of First and 2 Kings. Two solid years. Great material here. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. I think they're going to put it up on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 7 and... We're going to begin at, verses, at verse 3. This is on the back end of a series of events, so we're going to try to read through this very, very quickly. Now there were four leprous men at uh, the entrance of the gate, and they said one to another, why are we sitting here till we die? Got a whole sermon just on, on, on that one verse. If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall do what? Going to live. And if they kill, kill us, what's going to happen? We die. I mean, we're only going to die. We're going to die anyway. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, what happened? No one was there. Now, these Assyrians had surrounded the city and besieged the city for a long time. But when they went out there, they were gone. Why were they gone? For the Lord had caused the army of the Assyrians to hear the noise of the chariots and noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp, how? Intact. 
their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and fled for their lives, which is very interesting because to me, if you wanted to get away fast, it seemed like you would jump on your horse. But they left their horses and ran on foot. Such was the fear that was placed upon them. And these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp and went into one tent, ate and drank, and carried from it silver and gold clothing and went and did what? Hid them. Mm-hmm. Then they came back, entered another tent, and carried uh, some from there also and went and did what? Hit it. Now, does that sound eerily familiar to you? See, when I saw that, that sounds like certain sectors of the Seventh-day Adventist church to me. Amen. Or ouch. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is the day of what? Don't we have good news? Do we not have good news? We've got the best news in the world. We have the news that will tell people how to get from this world to the next alive. So this is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait till morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell. Amen. When I read that, it was a standing rebuke to me. Because there is a world out there that is dying. Amen. They don't think they are, but they are. And we have the words of life. We have to go and tell. Amen? And if we wait, mischief is going to come. And we've got mischief in the church. And the reason we have mischief is because the Adventist church is suffering from, among other things, a toxic case of cabin fever. You know what cabin fever is? When you've been cooped up in the house with the same people for too long and you get sick of looking at them? So little things that didn't bother you begin to get on your nerves? That's because you're spending too much time among the same people. You need to get out. Tell you a quick story. It's not in my, I, I had a roommate, bless his heart, Francis Jorky from Liberia, West Africa. I was in college. Francis had this habit, and I don't know where he got it from. He used to chew with his mouth open. And Francis Jorky enjoyed his food. And you know, when, you, when you're in a dorm room in college, there's not a lot of room in dorm. You know, you're just, you're here and he's there. And so when, when he ate, basically I ate, whether I was eating or not. And Francis would take a, a he, and he said like granola. Anybody grow? Or back then it was grape nuts. Just still, you got to chew and chew and chew and chew and chew. And, and Francis would just enjoy his cereal. 
And, and I, I determined in my mind, he's doing that on purpose. Nobody eats like that. And I, I actually developed something in my heart against him. You know, just how in the world could anybody make all that noise? And, and really, he didn't know. That's, he had developed that habit. Uh, that's the way his family, and having met his family, they, they all eat like that. You, you, you go to, to dinner, and it's, just, it's like you have to turn the radio on. Everybody's doing that kind of thing. But so he didn't know. But I'm saying, you know, this guy's doing this on purpose. He's just getting on my nerves. You know, and one day, bless his heart, he had a little yellow Volkswagen, and he was taking his then-girlfriend over the mountain. They slid off the side of the road and had a very bad accident. And I came back that evening, and he was had come back from the hospital and he was all bandaged up and, you know, just, just... And I said, Francis, man, what happened? He told me, I said, can I do anything for you? Can I help you? Do you want some cereal? You know, can I, can I do anything to help you? Uh, but but he, he didn't know. He, he, he didn't understand. And I, I developed hatred in my heart. It, it, and, and we as a church have developed cabin fever, so little things that, that, that ought to mean nothing are becoming big issues in the church because we, 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 we focused our guns on each other and not on the enemy and, and, and not on doing the will of God. So we're in our churches and we're getting on each other's nerve and we're bumping up against each other. And, and a little thing like what, what color should we paint the sanctuary is becoming a big issue and it shouldn't be, it should be nothing if we're out there doing the will of God. You see, when you're, when you're working for the, for the Lord, when you're spending your energy for the Lord, you don't have time to fight your brother and sister in church. So we need to focus on, on the Lord. We need to go and tell. So when they went, they found that God had already worked. And sometimes we are so afraid to go, and if we would go, we'd find that God is already working. The Syrians had gone because God had worked in their behalf. But, but these leprous men would have never known that unless they had summoned the faith to go and tell to go and, and, and do the work of, of the Lord. Real quick. Um, we need workers, Ellen White says. This is my next. We need workers who can put new life into old methods of labor. We need workers who can put new life into old methods of labor and can invent new plans of awakening the interest of the church members and reaching the men and women of the world. Means will be devised to reach hearts, some of the methods used in the work will be different from the methods used in the work in the past, but let no one, because of this, block the wheels by criticism. We've got to sit down and think of new ways to do new stuff. Amen? Before 1984, no one had ever heard of an international Seventh-day Adventist satellite network. And in 1984, when Danny was running to and fro, there are people who were saying, we can't do it. It's never been done before. But here, almost 30 years later, here it is. Amen? So don't, don't block my criticism. Give you two examples. When I was at um, Ephesus Church, um, I wanted to start what I, would, what I call the, the, the Mother's Day Initiative. And I talked to some people, and they said, you know what? On Mother's Day, um, we like to be in bed and have our husbands serve us breakfast in bed, and that's how we like to spend Mother's Day. And I said, yeah, well, that, oh, that's, that's nice, but I think we can use this to, to a, better, a better use. 
So I called down to City Hall and spoke with Mayor Giuliani, who was the mayor of New York City at the time, to his aid. I said, here's what we want to do. We want to bless the neighborhood that the church um, sits in. And here's my idea. We would like to clean the, the block that the Ephesus church sits on. Now, Ephesus Church is a big building, sits on a big block. So we got pathfinders and young people, and the city of New York gave us rakes and mops and little sticks with points on them for picking up paper in the, in the gutter and a big bin for free because they were so excited about what we were trying to do. So the pathfinders and some of the young people in the youth church, that Sunday morning, we cleaned the block that the church sat on. And then that, that Sunday afternoon, we made little flyers and we said, this is the Ephesus Church's Mother's Day gift to the community. The next Sabbath, we had, I don't remember the exact number because it's been a few years, close to 20 new people in the church who had never been there before but wanted to know who are these people. Amen? Amen. New people. Because we tried something different. We could have laid in bed and, and had Mother's Day breakfast, but we didn't. We went out into the community following the command of God and God gave us immediate fruit for our labor. New methods. Amen? And let me say this to you. Deeds of kindness tear down walls of separation, build bridges to salvation. Amen? Deeds of kindness tear down walls of separation, build bridges to salvation. Very, very important. It, it's it's, we tend to want to lead with, with the Bible, spirit of prophecy, 144,000. You know, every time you get a group of evidence together, sooner or later somebody's going to ask about the 144,000. It happened last night. <laughs> but as a rule, a discussion of the 144,000 doesn't save people. It's nice to talk about. Nice theological discussion. But it doesn't lead a whole lot of people to the foot of the cross. A deed of kindness will. Now, I'm going to have to jump in. I've got a lot to say in a little bit of time. When I got to the Ebenezer Seventh-day Adventist Church in Freeport, New York, my head deaconess was Roberta Carter, which was interesting because Roberta Carter was a famous Adventist hater. Hated Adventists. So how is she the head deaconess of the church? Well, her husband was a deacon, and he got sick. He got very sick. And the church poured their love on their deacon. And he died of cancer. And one little lady from Panama named Josephina Ashers decided to practice, and some of you may not know what this is, some of you will, Escovich fish evangelism. Mm-hmm. Escovitch fish is when you take fish and you, 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 you cook it in this kind of sauce. 
Escaviche. Yeah. She practiced fish evangelism. She took money out of her pocket, and every Friday she would cook rice and peas, or peas and rice. Escovitch fish, salad, cake, lemonade. She would buy paper plates, paper cups, knives and forks, and take them to Roberta Carter's house. Now, Roberta Carter had two sons. One was Charlie, I think the other one was David, six foot three ate like locusts, you know, just big guys, just eat, 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 eat. No Bible, no 2,300 days, mm -hmm. no 144,000, fish. Six weeks, she'd come, set the table, pray, and leave. After six weeks, on Friday when she came, Roberta Carter said to Josephina Ashers, tomorrow, when you're going to church, why don't you come by and pick me up? So by the time I get there, she's head deaconess of the church. Deeds of kindness. Tear down walls of separation and build bridges to salvation. It's hard to hate somebody that's doing something nice for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Try it. You'll like it. I guarantee. Now, boy, the clock is an enemy. See, when I, when I was pastoring in New York, I could get, get up and preach for two or three hours. <laughs> Not really. Want to take a little test. And this will probably be the last thing we'll be able to do. Take a little test. How many live within five blocks of the church they attend? Raise your hand. You live within five blocks. Five blocks. Hands up real high. Just need to see. I'm not going to ask you anything. Just want to see your hands. Okay. So that's about 5%. Very, very small. So most of us live fairly far from the church we attend, correct? You don't live, you don't live in the neighborhood. Neighborhood is considered five block radius around any particular building. So most of us go to churches that we don't live in that neighborhood. All right? Now, if that is true, here's the next question. What right do you as a member of that church have to come into that community? What right do you have? Actually, none. You really don't. They allow you to, but you don't have any right, any moral right, to come to that community. Next question. Why is your church there? Now, there are any number of reasons for that. In, in New York, since there's no room to build any churches, usually somebody moves out and the Adventists move in. That's how we get to a lot of places. Sometimes it's a nice spot. It's out in the country. The land is cheap. You know, all kinds of reasons why a church gets to a place, my next question is, why does it remain there? Why does it stay there? Why are you still there? And how does the community 
benefit from your presence, how is it made better? Have you ever asked yourself that? We got a church sitting in a community where we don't live, so we are alien to the community. What benefit does this community derive because a bunch of Adventists are there? And if you are not a benefit to the community in which your church resides, do you have a moral right to remain there? And I think boards ought to ask that question. Is this community any better because we're here? And if not, why not? And if the church if the community is not made better because we're here, what makes you any different from the local inn, tavern, or liquor store? They use community resources and give nothing back. Do you use community resources? And what do you give back? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we a blessing to that community or not? Does God want to bless that community? Amen. Does he? Amen. Well, if not through you, then through who? We come in every Sabbath, preach, pray, sing, and go home. That's not the will of God for your church, is it? Ellen White says if all you do is sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, pray the Lord, pray and go home. You are doing the Lord and yourself a terrible disservice. We use community resources. We're in the community. They see us come in on Sabbath. And a lot of times, they don't know who we are or what we're... Who, who you know, when I was growing up, we had a, a group of people who used to live next door to us. They had the strangest behavior. They'd all pile into a car on Saturday morning dress nice and just disappear. <laughs> and then they come back at night and reappear. And we knew that during the week we could play with them, but on Saturday they had this strange activity. We didn't know what the... They'd get in the car and just disappear. <laughs> and then, as the Lord would have it, we moved to another part of the city, and don't you know we moved right across the street from another group of people with that same strange activity. Saturday morning, they just pile in the car and just disappear. And so one day, I asked them, where do y'all go when you disappear? And they said, we go to Sabbath school. And I, I went to Sabbath school with them and liked it immediately. First of all, they had this beautiful young Sabbath school teacher that when you got the answer right, she would say, God bless you, and just brush your cheek, and I like that. <laughs> I'm going to Sabbath school again. <laughs> but they never witnessed to us. We saw this activity, and it intrigued me, and I wanted to know. And when I went, I got hooked, and so I got baptized at age 10. <laughs> baptized my mother, baptized my sister, Baptized my dad one month before he had a stroke and died. We got to go and tell. Deeds of kindness tear down walls of separation. Now, all right. 
suppose the town board came to your church and said, listen, we, we, we want to do something for this community. We think we want to put up a Walmart. Now, Walmart is a, it's a boon to any community. You got jobs, you got Walmart stuff, you know, you, it's Walmart. I, I think within 10 miles of here, there, there are three Walmarts. The largest Walmart in America is right down there in Marion. There's Walmart in Benton. There's Walmarts all around here. So Walmarts are economic boons to a community. Now, we can't tear down houses to put up a Walmart. We need to find a place to put this Walmart that meets the following qualifications. One, nobody from the community has anything to do with that place. Two, it doesn't give back anything to the community. Three, it's closed most of the time. You know, the average Seventh-day Adventist church is closed about 80% of the time. Oh, the average church in America is closed 82% of the time, so we're below average. Now, let's look at that. Doesn't do anything for the community, closed most of the time, nobody from the community goes there. What, what institution, what, what institution, help me out, what, what do you think, who fits that criteria? Anybody? Now, somebody said any church. That's true, but I don't belong to any church. I belong to this one. So if you had to justify your presence in the community, my question is, could you do that? And if not, why not? Why isn't the community any better? Because the Adventists are there. What are we doing for the people around us? How can you be a lighthouse if the light is out 80% of the time. So I'm asking you to do. But I'm asking you to do in the knowledge that when you do what God asks you to do, success is guaranteed. Because we serve a God who can do anything but fail. Last question. If your church burnt down, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? Well, they would notice because people always notice fires. Anytime there's a fire, people notice. But when the fire goes out, they go back to their lives. They would notice, but I don't know if they would care, if they would miss you because we haven't made that a priority. Amen? Amen? God calls each of us to go and do. Now you must determine what you do. Some can preach, some can teach, some can offer a cup of water, some can give their own testimony, some will be called to great ministry. But you will be called and you must do. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.